I Love the View, Episode 4. Mr. Reagan. Quick announcement, I will be going to CPAC this year. So if any of you people are going to be there, I'd love to meet up with you and have a cup of coffee. If there's a bunch of you, maybe we can all meet up at once. So if you're going to be at CPAC, go on my Facebook page to my Mr. Reagan page, write me on there. You may have noticed that I changed the name of this series from I Hate the View to I Love the View. I've been getting censored a lot by Big Brother, uh, so I've decided to make all of my video titles sarcastic. (laughs) There may be a few exceptions, but from now on, sarcasm will be the general rule. Now, this is a particularly good episode of I Hate Slash Love The View, by the way, so if you get bored with one bit, push on. This is a good one. Chock full of important things. So try to watch through to the end. Well... Super Bowl 53 was last night. Did anybody watch? Look, I stand with Cap, so I am no longer an NFL spectator. Um, I think that um, the racist behavior that the NFL has portrayed against Colin Kaepernick no longer makes me a fan of the NFL. I think the fact that Colin Kaepernick stood up for racial injustice and has been blacklisted by the NFL um, is cruel and unjust. Um, The fact that the NFL doesn't seem to care that much for the 70% of its um, players that are African-American. So you didn't watch. And they don't care. No. They don't care for their their well-being and they seem to not care about a lot of the domestic violence that occurs. I don't like the way the NFL treats their white players. I think the way that they have handled blacklisting white players who maybe have no athleticism is just wrong. You know who's worse? The NBA. These athletic organizations just aren't considering the struggles of white athletes who have no talent. It's a tragic miscarriage of social justice. Look, NFL players are beyond the most privileged of privileged Americans, right? They're in the stratosphere of privilege, along with Hollywood actors, rappers, and pop stars. I had never heard the name Colin Kaepernick until after that player performed his little stunt. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. I I don't follow sports, but... I seem to remember that Colin Kaepernick got a bunch of endorsement deals after his anti-American kneel protest. I don't feel bad for that guy one bit. The time has long passed for every non-white, non-male, non-Christian demographic in America to stop crying victim. If you want to hear about real oppression, read about the brutal, inhuman attacks on white farmers in South Africa by ruthless black South Africans. I have some clips about this in my video about Liam Neeson. It's a great video, and it got very few hits, which was incredibly disappointing. And then it got demonetized and restricted distribution by YouTube. Thanks, YouTube. So if you want to go back and watch that video after you're done with this video, uh, I highly recommend that. I don't know why that video did so poorly, but I think it's an important video, and I think everybody needs to see it. We suffer from a serious entitlement problem in the United States. Serious ignorance and ingratitude. You've got women and ethnic minorities who insist that their people are oppressed, uh, like these cows on The View, even though they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars each year to sit around on the TV and bloviate about things, things about which they know nothing. If racism and sexism are such serious problems in America, why are we paying Whoopi and Sonny and Anna Navarro hundreds of thousands of dollars to cackle every week on The Coven? I mean, The View. 
almost every non-Western culture is rife with racism, sexism, homophobia, religious intolerance, and all kinds of bigotry. In the West, we have overcome all of these prejudices. But Democrats want to stay in 1963. They want to continue fighting for civil rights and for feminism, even though equality was already achieved decades ago by Republicans. It's like the leftists feel as if they missed out on the chance to fight these great injustices, so they just keep on making signs and playing dress-up and going out on meaningless protests like the Women's March. They're like cosplayers dressing up as protesters for Instagram pics. I came up with an expression in my Liam Neeson video that I really liked. I said, these virtue signalers are knights in shining armor slashing at the bones of a dead dragon. The real knights, the heroes who initially slayed the dragon, the Republicans, have moved on to new threats. They're fighting to protect new victims, to slay new dragons. But the Democrats saw how much the villagers appreciated being rescued decades ago, and so they just keep fighting the same great evils. But those evils have already been vanquished. They think that if they stand nobly over the corpse with their tinfoil swords high in the air, that people will think that they were the ones who slayed the dragon. And the thing is, people actually do think that. So yeah, Sonny Hostin's reason for boycotting the NFL is just moronic. The NFL has no moral obligation to hire somebody that they don't think is good for their company. Go visit South Africa, Sonny. Go talk to some of the farmers. Then, if you still think America is racist, fine. But I don't think you know what racism really is. Please welcome Phoebe Robinson. You're in the movie What Men Want. You're doing stand-up. Your show Two Dope Queens is back for its second season on HBO. Absolutely hilarious. You and Jessica Williams have had huge success with this and your podcast, Two Dope, excuse me, Two Dope Queens. How has it resonated with so many people, and what does it feel like that it's such a huge success? Well, I think Jessica and I started it, I think, four and a half years ago, because we're like, there's so many brilliant people that are doing stand-up, but a lot of times it's just the straight white guys who are like, you know, late night or whatever. <laughs> You're in the movie What Men Want. You're doing stand-up. Your show Two Dope Queens is back for its second season on HBO. Absolutely hilarious. <laughs> you and Jessica Williams have had huge success with this and your podcast, Two Dope, excuse me, Two Dope Queens. How has it resonated with so many people, and what does it feel like that it's such a huge success? Well, I think Jessica and I started it, I think, four and a half years ago, because we're like, there's so many brilliant people that are doing stand-up, but a lot of times it's just the straight white guys who are like, you know, late night or whatever. So we're like, we're just going to have women, people of color, people on like the identity spectrum, and just celebrate those people. First of all, people don't like stand-up comics because of their race, their gender, their sexuality. People like stand-up comics for one thing and one thing only. They're comedy. If you're funny, we like you. If you're not funny, we don't. That's it. It's not complicated. There is and has been since the 80s a strong overrepresentation of black comedy megastars. Richard Pryor, Bill Cosby, Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Kevin Hart, Kean Peel. These are not the names of successful comics. These are the names of legends of comedy. These are comics that just about everyone knows the names of. These are some of the most successful comedians in the history of the world. There is no tier above this. It's not like there's another level of comedy success that you can achieve that only straight white men get to. This is it. If there's any straight white male comics that achieve the highest level of success in comedy, they are merely on par with these men. No race has a monopoly on comedy. Whether intentional or incidental, this woman has exploited a gap in the market. She should be grateful that she had such an incredible opportunity to do that. This woman is now wealthy because she lives in the freest, most tolerant capitalist democracy in the world. She did not succeed in spite of being a black woman. She succeeded because of it. You've said in the past that the way you choose to do your hair on any given day affects the way people see you and makes people feel a certain kind of way. 
And with the ongoing conversation about black women uh, and hair. There is an ongoing conversation about black women and hair? You think you're tuned in to the important political issues of the day, and then you watch The View, and it's like, where have I been? <laughs> Under a rock somewhere? How did I not know about this critical political issue? I'm so disappointed in myself. And with the ongoing conversation about black women uh, and hair, does that still hold true? People treat you differently depending on the way you're wearing Absolutely. your hair. Absolutely. You know, if you have it a little more natural, you're going to get followed in Dwayne Reed. Just trust and believe. <laughs> uh-huh. You're going to try to steal the toothpaste. But if you have it straighter, they're going to be, like, nicer to you. And, for, and it's just wow. things you have to deal with, but you just get used to it. I'm 34. Like, I know what it is now, and I change yeah. my hair all the time, as you guys wow. can see. Yeah. And it runs the gamut. And, you know... It throws them off, too. Yeah, right? It does. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you know, represent the hair the, the way that I want to wear it and not let them have the power over me about it. Okay, here's why people treat her differently depending depending upon how she wears her hair. If she wears her hair in a way that looks attractive, people will treat her better. On the other hand, if she wears her hair in a way that looks utterly hideous or that makes her look like a crazy person, exhibit A, they will treat her with less respect. Obviously, she does her hair in all these crazy ways to get attention. Getting attention, depending on how you do it, sometimes means sacrificing people's respect. This is not a black thing. This is a human thing. On to the next episode. A new leak from the White House released three months of you-know-who's daily schedule, which showed that he spent just shy of 300 hours in executive time. And that includes tweeting, watching TV, reading the paper, and making phone calls. The director of Oval Office Operations, Madeline Westhout, calls it disgraceful breach of trust and insists he's working harder for the American people than anyone in recent history. (laughs) Yeah. So dumb. <laughs> you know, it's like, I have chapped lips. Don't make me laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I th- work ethic is really important to me. And y- you all work with me. You know, I'm the one that reads all the books. And- yeah. So I, my work ethic's really important to me. And so I, I didn't love this. To make fun of a schedule, I don't think we know every single minute of the day what the president's doing. This is an ex- excessive amount of time for us not to be knowing what he's doing. Listen, maybe in some never-never land he is speaking with national security people about God knows what. Occam's razor, the likelihood of that, I think he's probably watching cable news and making he's phone reading, calls. He's on social too. media. You know what we can on? agree on, all of us? That the, <laughs> that the fact that... What? <laughs> <laughs> that this is... Uh, he's working harder than any other president. <laughs> I think we can all agree that's probably not so. Yeah. Well, you can agree to it, but it doesn't mean it's true. The left never ceases to surprise me with how petty their criticisms of the president can get. The obvious irony here is that Donald Trump has been one of the most effective presidents in the history of the country, if not the most effective. He has deregulated more than any other president in history. He's fought to bring jobs back to this country, resulting in a flourishing economy and an unprecedented drop in unemployment. He has negotiated brilliantly on behalf of the United States, giving us a strong economic advantage internationally. He has made peace with foreign dictators that once threatened us for decades under other presidents. He's securing our borders despite stubborn resistance by Democrats. He's forced NATO countries to start paying for their own military defense. And these are just a few of the countless accomplishments that Trump has achieved through his short time in office. But these ladies are complaining that he doesn't spend enough time in the Oval Office. While dictating the script, I was pacing back and forth in the side room while my girlfriend slept in the main room where my desk is. 
Not everybody does all of their daily work from their office desk. Just because the schedule says these are the allotted hours that Trump has officially worked, that does not mean that those are the only hours that he has been working. The President of the United States of America needs to be available at all hours for a variety of unexpected things. And you know what? What if Trump actually only worked one hour per day? Would this detract from his accomplishments? What if Donald Trump can accomplish in one hour what it took Barack Obama several days to accomplish, or several days, or weeks to accomplish. Does that make Donald Trump lazy? Is that to be criticized? You ladies go to work, you're probably driven there. Wardrobe stylists pick out your clothes and help you dress. Hairstylists and makeup artists make you presentable. Production assistants bring you food and drinks. Writers prepare your scripts. You probably get to work about an hour before you have to rehearse. Your rehearsal is... Maybe an hour, you shoot for an hour, and then you're driven home. You work fewer hours than the president, and most of that time is spent getting pampered. Your crew does 99% of the actual work for your show, and you get paid more than anyone else who works there. Your job doesn't negotiate peace with North Korea. Your show hasn't improved the lives of the minorities or the women or the immigrants that you claim to defend. Trump has done all of this and more. I do not imagine for one moment that he works fewer hours than you do. However, if he does, good for him. Instead of ridicule, you should be amazed. You lazy old harpies really need to learn to have a little bit more respect for people who work a hell of a lot more than you do and do a hell of a lot more. And speaking of, you know who the State of the Union is tonight. No, I was about the thing. I'm going to watch it, but I, mm-hmm. I'm going to watch Nancy Pelosi. Oh, oh yeah. That's she she just had a tight shot behind. of her face the entire night. I completely yeah. agree I with mean, that. In which we agreed to limit and reduce our missile capability. I've got some missile capability right here, Mr. President. This will be the first time you see the House Speaker do a spit take. (laughs) When he starts spewing his lies and how he's going to save the world and there's security issues at the border. Meanwhile, he just dropped a nuclear deal deal. so Russia and the United States are now going to be in an arms race. We are not going to be in an arms race again. Joy Behar is so ignorant about international politics, it boggles the mind. Okay, for those of you who don't know about this, The United States is not particularly concerned about Russia developing nuclear weapons anymore. What we're concerned about is China. That's the big one. And maybe Iran and North Korea a little too. These are the new nuclear threats to the United States of America. If we are not prepared for an arms race, we must be prepared to submit to a foreign power whose nuclear capability far exceeds our own. The choices are not peace or cold war. The choices are peace through military dominance, a cold war with an arms race, or an actual war that we will inevitably lose if we neglect to prepare. Leftists seem to believe that we all live in an alternative reality where the only bad people in the universe are straight white American men, and every other country in the world is made up of purely peace-loving hippies who, you know, the evil white American men constantly exploit and oppress. Well, ladies, if it were not for the evil straight white American men who have been serving in our military for the past 200 years and inventing, developing, engineering, and building the weaponry, you would not have the freedom to earn hundreds of thousands of dollars every year by criticizing the president daily on your morning talk show. You would have been executed by firing squad by a dictator who considers your brand of spiteful criticism treasonous. And the United States are now going to be in an arms race. Joy, if you want Isn't he great? Joy, I can talk to you about that all day long, by the way. So much winning. The Russia deal? (laughs) Joy, was was Russia following through on that deal? Is that something we should have kept? (laughs) I don't that know. Treaty? All I know, well, I can tell you, uh, he just appointed a lobbyist for the oil industry to go to take over that Zinke's job. But I, I think, mean, come I on. Just, I, wow, I cannot believe what I'm seeing right here. Abby Huntsman is actually challenging Joy Behar's BS. Abby Huntsman, where have you been all my life? This is so beautiful. Why don't you do this every episode? This is the Abby Huntsman 
I have been waiting for. Abby Huntsman challenges Joy Behar on her very obvious ignorance about this particular issue. Joy hesitates a moment, realizing that she doesn't actually know anything about this. She cannot get into an actual debate with Abby Huntsman here, so Joy just deflects with a totally irrelevant criticism. She changes the subject completely. Joy Behar is astonishingly smug for somebody so astonishingly ignorant. Fortunately, the deflection does not work. Go, Abby. Give her hell. But I think that, that's a headline that you read that sounds like that's another way to hate on the president, but it is far more complicated than that. I know that. That's and why I'm so just, with the, with the Russia tree, I would actually argue the opposite. That would say that he's tougher by getting rid of it because Russia's been taking advantage of us on that treaty deal for years and years and no president has been strong enough to say, let's get out of it. Abby knows the other ladies are going to cut her off, so she states this very succinctly and very quickly. And so her point isn't super clear. But what she's trying to show is Joy Behar's inconsistency in her treatment of the president. Joy is 100% convinced that the president is somehow controlled by Vladimir Putin. Now she's complaining that Donald Trump is going to start an arms race with Russia. So which is it, Joy? Is Trump colluding with Russia or is he threatening another Cold War with them? You can't have it both ways. You can't criticize Trump for both being Putin's friend and Putin's enemy. Not only does Abby Huntsman show Joy Behar's lack of consistency, she also makes a very strong argument against collusion. In Abby's words, no other president has been strong enough to get out of the Russia nuclear deal. Trump is taking a very strong position against Russia here because, as Abby states, Russia has not been honoring the treaty with the United States. Exiting this treaty merely frees up our military to defend us against other more serious threats than Russia. I don't think you know what, anyone, now we have China though, with the same new No one can argue that this president has been tough on Russia. Are you being sarcastic now? She's being sarcastic. So Sonny Hostin chimes in with an hilarious joke in order to shut down this conversation. Abby Huntsman knows way more about this than anyone else at that table. None of them are able to argue against her, so they simply deflect. Joy Behar deflects. Sonny Hostin deflects. Let's see what happens next. I'm talking about the Russia treaty that you just oh, mentioned. Yeah, right. oh, well, Did you guys know anything honestly, about it? Should we talk more deeply? Well, because not right now. Because today is Black History <laughs> Month, <laughs> Whoopi Goldberg deflects the ultimate deflection. Let's talk about Black History Month. They just completely ignore everything Abby Huntsman just said because it makes Trump look good and it makes all of them look like the ignorant fools that they are. Liam Neeson did an interview promoting his movie called Pursuit and was asked where he drew his inspiration for his character seeking revenge from. And here's how he answered the question. And how he I clarified asked, it. Did you know who it was? No. What color were they? She said it was a black person. I went up and down areas with a cosh, hoping I'd be approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black <laughs> would come out of a pub. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is very sneaky. The producers or the editors or whomever is in charge of censoring language here on The View has decided to censor an entire word here. Ordinarily, one or two letters of a censored word are left visible, usually like the first letter, right? But here, they have censored every letter of the word. Now, this may not seem like a big deal, and maybe I'm seeing crazy conspiracy theories here, but it seems to me like censoring black blank is probably going to suggest to people that Liam Neeson has said the N-word. I mean, we're talking about racism here, so that's what it looks like to me. Now, this shocked me because I just did a video on this. I researched the whole situation in some depth, and I read the article in which Liam Neeson gave this interview, and he did not say the N-word. So I had to go back, and I had to see what he did say. The word is bastard. <laughs> the ladies of The View are 
pretty good on the Liam Neeson thing, actually. Uh, I guess because he's a Hollywood leftist and they want to protect their own. But the producers, this was really, really sneaky. It was this primal hatred, I guess, that really, really shocked me when I eventually came down to earth. How do you feel about the explanation? You know, people have prejudices and, and, and bigotries in themselves. It doesn't mean they have to express them constantly. Keep them to yourself. You know, this morning I was walking to work here, and there was a dead rat in the street. Usually rats are under the building, and you don't see them. That's where these things belong, in my opinion. Something has been ignited in this country and around the world that people just feel free to say these horrible things to each other. And I think it's better to keep your big mouth shut. So Joy Behar is fine with people being racist, so long as they don't talk about it. Well, that's not what I thought she was going to say. I thought she was going to say that Liam Neeson was a horrible racist. So I'm not sure how to respond to this, because I don't believe Liam Neeson is a racist. Uh, But Joy Behar didn't even really address that. She just said that people shouldn't talk about things. I guess in a way, this is in perfect keeping with leftist ideology. The idea being that facts don't matter, ideas don't matter. The only thing that matters is feeling morally right. I think that there's a lot of people more concerned about being precisely, factually, and semantically correct than about being morally right. I'm just going to keep playing that clip forever. (laughs) What he says happened is he came, let's be clear, he came back uh, and someone who was very, very dear to him told him that she had been raped. He asked her a whole bunch of questions and he also asked her what the guy looked like. He went out then in his rage, and it was a black man, and in his rage and anger, he went out to try to start a fight. That was the story he told. Now, this wasn't last month. This wasn't a year ago. This is... 30 years ago he's talking about. Listen, I'm just explaining because I want to make sure that it doesn't sound like you're calling him a racist. No, I don't I'm think not that's talking about him in particular. I'm okay. talking about people venting these prejudices that are that lie there dormantly, and then everybody feels it's open season on saying terrible things about each other. But I actually, I actually had a different reaction than you, Joy. I, I found what he said. Uh, refreshing in a way and so not PC at a time when maybe the conversation doesn't need to be PC because he admitted that he had problems. He admitted that he had thoughts that were bad. He was there admitting it and saying, I I was wrong to feel that way. I actually found that at a time we're in, to not be PC, I found that helpful and maybe can move the conversation to a better place. Wow. I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I agree with the ladies of The View, at least with Whoopi Goldberg and Abby Huntsman. Even Joy Behar is hesitating to outright condemn Liam Neeson. I've never seen the ladies speak so rationally. But this is obviously because Liam Neeson is a left-wing Hollywood actor. He's one of them. Imagine if Liam Neeson had been a well-known conservative actor. Do you think they would have been so polite? Not a chance. Imagine if he'd been a Republican politician. The ladies of The View wouldn't have stopped talking about it for years. But because Liam Neeson is an outspoken leftist, he gets a pass. Now, I've said everything I wanted to say about this in my previous video, and again, I highly recommend that you watch that video after this one. A lot of people uh, commented on that video criticizing me of defending Liam Neeson because Liam Neeson has been an outspoken critic of the Second Amendment. Now, to me, this is irrelevant. I'm fine with people having different political views than me. I want people to have different political opinions than I have. People are going to be wrong about things. I say in that video about people who are condemning Liam Neeson, he who is without 
sin, cast the first stone. I think the same needs to be said about those who are willing to condemn Liam Neeson for having divergent political views. We cannot roundly condemn every single person in the world for disagreeing with us on anything ever. The entire point of democracy is to discuss and debate different ideas so that we can find the best ideas to move forward with in our society. You cannot condemn injustice perpetrated against a political ally and then turn around and applaud an injustice perpetrated against a political opponent. We must fight injustices against everyone. We must be consistent. This is called intellectual integrity or moral integrity. It's called having principles. It's impossible for any one person or any political faction to be right about everything all the time. That's why it's more important that we fight for the freedom to speak than we fight for our side's ideas to be dominant. We must have consistent principles. If we are against injustice, we must be against injustice for both our friends and for our enemies. I may not agree with Liam Neeson on every political issue, but I take no joy in seeing his career ended by a misperception of his character. All right, let's see what else these ladies have to say about this. I understand very well, I think, how you would feel if a loved one was harmed and how you would want to harm the person that did that Mm -hmm. to them, the person that did that. Mm -hmm. What I can't understand is how you would go out and seek a random person of the same race Mm -hmm. to harm. That's Because that, for me, feels like a modern-day lynching. And that's what happened to black men in this country by white men somehow trying to be righteous about a white woman's virtue. And that really... This is a common tactic of leftists when trying to establish the presence of oppression in contemporary American society. The idea is to take some individual incident and abstract that incident in such a way that somehow it relates to a broader cultural problem, either real or imagined. In this case, Sonny Hostin is taking fears that once prevailed in the Reconstruction Era South a hundred years ago, and she's tying this to Liam Neeson's story. But Liam Neeson's actions were not motivated by fears about an imagined rape. Liam Neeson was reacting to an actual rape. This was a black man who raped a white woman. Although I agree with Sonny that it would have been much more rational uh, had Liam Neeson gone out and sought revenge against the rapist specifically. Uh, This was not an option for Liam Neeson, according to what he said in the Good Morning America interview. So Liam Neeson's reaction was to lash out irrationally. Again, I cover this in depth in my previous video. Anyway, this kind of artificial linking of individual incidents with real or imagined social injustices is a rhetorical tactic employed in order to try to create the illusion of support for an argument where no real support actually exists. Liam Neeson's rage against black people in 1979 because a black man raped a white friend of his is in no way related to the lynching of black men in the 19th century. And let's be clear, neither of these incidents are in any way related to anything that's happening in the world today. Um, What it is is it's a mod- if he had acted on it, it's a modern day hate crime. Sometimes when we're walking around, we think that, as you are all pointing out very well, that racism and bigotry and homophobia is something of the past. And I think we're sitting here today realizing that maybe we haven't come as far culturally. Honestly, Meghan McCain needs to just be replaced on this show. She is insufferable. Meghan, Liam Neeson's Charles Bronson death wish style nightly walks through rough neighborhoods took place in 1979. That was before I was born. That was before you were born. The year 1979 can confidently be classified as the past. This is what drives me nuts about anything race-related that comes up in the news or gets talked about on these talk shows. Somebody inevitably says, we still have a long way to go. No, we don't. 
I've said it before, and I'll say it again. If you want to eradicate uh, the final vestiges of white racism in America, combat racism against white people. That's a far more pervasive problem. Liam Neeson did not go out looking for a violent black man to kill just because he was a crazy racist. He did so because a girl he knew who was white was brutally raped by a black man. Had this black man not brutally raped this white woman, Liam Neeson would not have done this terrible racist thing. But none of these women condemn the actual rape. None of these women condemn the rapist. And none of these women have asked the question, was maybe the black man who raped the white woman the real racist in this story? Again, check out my other video on this. The whole subject pisses me off. The ladies of The View should all spend one week camping out on a farm in South Africa and then come back and do their show again. I would love to see how their perspective changes. I... I'm not going to lie, there have been times when things have happened and I've gone directly to what someone is. Mm -hmm. Someone, whether you're driving a car, if you look like somebody that shouldn't have been driving, I cussed you out as that person. Mm -hmm. People walk around sometimes with rage. That's what happens. Is he a bigot? No, I've known him a pretty long time. I think I would have recognized. I can say this man is, is not one. But let's remember back, 1984, do you remember Bernard Getz? Of course. Yes. You know, uh, People were calling the police to congratulate the subway vigilante. Bernard Getz. This is another perfect illustration of what I was just complaining about. This guy, Bernard Getz, in 1984, shot four muggers. These were four men who were trying to rob him on a New York subway train. The four muggers were uh, black, so people called the shooting racist. But they were mugging him. There were four of them, and there was one of him. And they were trying to steal from him. According to an interview with one of the muggers, they saw Getz as an easy mark. So this guy, Bernard Getz, he had been mugged three years before. He'd been beaten very badly and was seriously injured. And after this, he bought a gun specifically to defend himself against future muggings. Think about that. This guy had been carrying for three years. If the guy was a racist, if this incident was in any way similar to the Liam Neeson incident, Bernard Getz would have gone out looking for violent black thugs to shoot immediately after the initial mugging. But he waited three years until other men tried to rob him. It took him three years to unleash this supposed racist rage. No, whoopee, your interpretation of Getz's motivation does not make sense. These four men clearly believed that they posed a significant enough physical threat to Bernard Getz that he would simply comply to being mugged. Perhaps instead of being racist, he was just scared that these men would hurt him. Like the last time he was mugged, or, or maybe they would even kill him. I mean, if this is the case, then if it had been white muggers, maybe, and I mean, this might sound crazy, but maybe he would have shot them too. But I mean, he's a huge racist, right? So probably he would have just let them kill him. Right, yeah. Of all the violent crime that happens in America between white people and black people, 90% of the time, 9-0%, the attacker is black and the victim is white. If you look at violent interracial crime, black-white crime, there are about a million acts of violent black-white crime in a given year. And by violent, I mean rape, murder, uh, uh, robbery uh, with aggravation, manslaughter. Uh, about 90% of that involves a black perpetrator and 90% involves a white victim. Yes, Whoopi, we definitely have a racism problem in America, but it's not coming from white people. Let us not forget that we, we've seen this in other people and perhaps in ourselves. Yeah. So you can't be surprised that somebody whose loved one uh, is attacked is angry and wants to go out and attack. Yeah. What he did go on to say, which we didn't show you on GMA, 
is that he realized that it was too dark for him. He went and got himself yeah. help. I walk a very crooked line sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know. I do, because I'm not perfect. That's sometimes I say you. stuff, yeah. sometimes I do stuff, and that's what happens. And I so, hear it when I do it on the show. And can forgive? And, but and, and you know, <laughs> there before the grace of God go all of us. There yeah. before the, you know. So you know what? Shake it off. <laughs> know that you will be better. Whenever you make yourself better, we'll be back. You know, occasionally, crazy Whoopi Goldberg says something completely and totally rational. (laughs) I completely and totally respect everything that she just said here. Granted, it's because she knows Liam Neeson, and she's uncharacteristically willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. Whereas if Donald Trump wants to build a wall at the border, there's no question about it in her mind. He's a white supremacist, neo-Nazi, grand wizard of the KKK, super racist. So she's not exactly consistent on the issue of race. But the fact that she's willing to say that she's not perfect, and therefore she's unwilling to condemn somebody who has done something wrong in his life is, to me, an incredibly respectable thing to say. I actually love that she said that. Credit where credit's due. Let's move on to the next episode. Exactly one century after Congress passed the constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote, we also have more women serving in Congress than at any time before. Okay, so wait a minute. (laughs) Is he so clueless that he actually thinks that the reason there are women in Congress in these numbers because he did something right? Yeah. It's the opposite. Yeah. He's taking credit when he really should take the blame. Am I wrong about this? Yes. I thought they were trolling him. Yeah, I've heard this point made before. The idea is that the women in the white robes were cheering for themselves in spite of Trump as opposed to because of Trump. But Donald Trump was giving a speech called the State of the Union. He does realize that most of the women elected are against him and his policies. And yes, those women were trying to ridicule Trump by their self-congratulatory standing ovation. But that's okay. I don't think Trump cared. He simply carried on with integrity. And actually, I think this brilliantly illustrated the extreme difference between Trump's desire for inclusion and bipartisanship and, you know, his respect for Democrats and the left's nasty pettiness, division, and intolerance. Trump took a moment to include, in a very positive way, these women who have positioned themselves against him as his enemy. And, you know, instead of thanking Trump for that recognition, they selfishly cheered for themselves and laughed at Trump's expense. But this did not deter Trump from keeping it positive. He thanked the women as if they were clapping and cheering for his kind words, which, of course, he knew that they were not. But, you know, to thank the women was a classy move. He took the high road. Now, of course, the ladies of The View are accusing Trump of being the village idiot, blissfully unaware that he was being trolled. Ladies, what you saw there was not idiocy, but integrity. Okay. Ladies, what you saw there was not idiocy, but integrity. You guys could learn a thing or two from watching Donald Trump. There, there yeah. are not a lot of Republican women that are getting elected. I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but I know it's like a w- it's like four to they're one ratio. Very, yeah. Few. Yeah. yeah. Why is that? Why don't conservative women like you go out there and say and call it call it what it is that the emperor is wearing no clothes? Yes. And can I, they be I, um, elected? Can they be elected well, though? 
Of course they can be elected, you ignorant, delusional, leftist psychopath. And Joy Behar's Emperor's New Clothes metaphor makes zero sense at all. It would only make sense if Republicans were running around talking about how many women Republicans have in Congress, and then Meghan McCain comes out and boldly speaks the truth. But the reason that Republicans don't complain that there are not more female conservatives in positions of power is that we just don't care. There should only ever be one criterion for anybody getting hired to do any job. Ability. Conservatives take this idea seriously and simply vote into office people who they think will do the best job. Leftists, on the other hand, have a different criteria. Entitlement. Democrats decide who is going to represent them based on who they believe is the most entitled person for the job. And entitlement, as far as the left is concerned, is entirely dependent upon immutable characteristics. If you're black or brown or female or LGBT or Muslim or an immigrant, you are entitled to positions of power within the Democratic Party. The more of these characteristics you have, the more entitled you are. Ilhan Omar, for instance, is a black Muslim immigrant. Ilhan Omar, for instance, is a black Muslim immigrant woman. She ticks four boxes. She is, in the eyes of the left, an ideal candidate for office. She is thoroughly entitled, despite the fact that she is clearly anti-Semitic. It's okay to be a racist if you're a Democrat, because you are entitled. So the reason there are more women representing the Democrats in Congress is that the Democrats have a different criterion for electing representatives. Democrats elect people based on race and gender. Republicans elect people based on merit. The address was received far better uh, than his uh, first State of the Union. Mm -hmm. Some called it Reagan-esque. Really? Yes. It was, you know, it was... It was Reagan-esque. It was phenomenal. Look how shocked Joy Behar is here. The one criticism I have always joined leftist in expressing about Donald Trump is that he is tactless. I have, to some extent, excused this by pointing out that Donald Trump is a New Yorker. People from New York pride themselves in their candor. Just look at Joy Behar. Perfect example. However, to me, tactlessness is still ugly, and I've always preferred that Donald Trump speak more eloquently. At the State of the Union, he did exactly that. Joy Behar, along with the other anti-Trump people on The View, should have the integrity to acknowledge this. I don't care how much you hate Trump, any objective observer should be able to recognize that he has done something uncharacteristically awesome. In this case, a common criticism of Trump was contradicted by his objectively dignified State of the Union performance. For Joy to act shocked by the universally positive public response to this once again exposes Joy's extreme bias. This is an expression of stage four Trump derangement syndrome. Joy's hatred has escaped the bounds of rational criticism and crossed well over the line into full-blown delusion. Okay, first of all, the majority of Americans don't want the wall. They think it's stupid. I hate that this old crone constantly spouts this statistic. I mean, she's right. It's an accurate statistic, but it's also extremely deceptive. Statistics can often be deceptive when other relevant facts are withheld. In this case, although she's correct, about 43% of Americans support the wall and about 54% oppose it, those numbers are very closely aligned with Americans who identify themselves as liberal you know, or Democrat and, and those who identify themselves as conservative or Republican. So a much more accurate characterization of the nation's sentiments about the wall would be to say that the country is split along political lines. Another relevant statistic is 89%. That's how many border patrol agents support a border wall. These are the men who are in the absolute best position to assess the potential efficacy of a border wall. If we're not considering the perspective of the experts, the men who deal with this problem every day, we're just playing partisan politics. The reason that I hate that Joy Behar consistently states this statistic is because it is accurate. I cannot refute it, and it's extremely convincing. But here's the thing. Just because the majority of Americans believe something, that doesn't make it right. 
It's like the claim that most Americans want rich people to pay more taxes. Sure, everybody would love everybody except themselves to pay more taxes, but that doesn't mean that's the best thing for the country. If you poll people with the question, do you want free everything for life, everyone will say yes. But if you pose the question realistically, if you say, do you want everything free for life, but your life will only last three more years because resources will dry up and you're going to starve to death, well, then everybody's going to say no. Say you pull children about vegetables. You're going to find, almost uniformly, they prefer to eat ice cream for dinner. But just because they want it, that doesn't mean it's the right policy for parents to adopt. Depending on how you poll the public, you can get a variety of crazy statistics. Citing people want statistics is pointless. You might as well write random made-up statistics on the back of an envelope and then cite that. But again, it sounds convincing, and people are influenced by it. So I hate it. Crime amongst illegal or legal immigrants is so far down that mostly it's, it's Americans who are committing crimes in this country. Yeah. It's a lie. False. This is a blatant lie, constantly stated by leftists with this absolute confidence, as if it's an incontrovertible fact. When leftists state this absurdity, they are citing only a couple of incredibly dubious studies. One of the major proponents of this idea is a guy named Alex Narasta of the Cato Institute. He's a big open borders guy, and so all of his research is dedicated to supporting his radical open borders agenda. If a researcher has an admitted radical agenda, everybody should immediately be highly skeptical of his conclusions. There are a lot of other much more reliable studies, most notably by John Lott, uh, studies that directly contradict Alex Norasta's dubious research. But because some random guy has stated in various articles that he believes illegal immigrants commit fewer crimes than native-born Americans, that's enough for the left. They are perfectly willing to accept this as absolute fact and state it constantly with uh, absolute confidence, even though it is total rubbish. Just to be clear, this is junk science. It is completely false and misleading. Uh, you know... Well, does the name Richard Nixon ring a bell? <laughs> Nixon, Nixon said, enough with the Watergate. And then uh, less than 200 days later, he was gone. Yeah. So these investigations, that, tra that train has left the station, honey, and there's nothing you can do about it. I love how confident she is about this. Look, look at the smugness. Joy Behar is the queen of smug. I always find ignorant people who speak with absolute confidence hilarious. The, t uh, the two people who best epitomize this uh, kind of confidence and ignorance are Joy Behar and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We should start calling them the Ignorant Sisters. There's actually quite a few other ladies that we could put into that basket. In fact, in fact, in fact, let's see it in the comments. Let's let's get some nominees for the Sisterhood of Ignorance. I'll I'll make this into a T-shirt. Available for purchase on my Teespring site. A link to which you'll find in the description. But back to Joy Behar and. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, these women always speak as if everything they say is 100% true. They know, you know, somehow these women learned, I suspect at a young age, that if they simply speak with confidence, that people believe them, even if they have no idea what they're talking about. I also think that uh, both of these women do think that they know what they're talking about, which, I mean, that just compounds the problem. It's the Dunning-Kruger effect. You know, people who know very little about something often think that they are experts, right? My takeaway, you know, I thought it was a, kind of a dark speech. Like, what? Okay, I got to hear this. It seemed to be at the beginning about unity, and I was like, oh, well, this sounds pretty good. And, and it, it was Reagan-esque in that sense. But then it took a turn when it started talking about the wall. He wasn't really reading the, the room well. I felt like that's when people were like, Ugh. I mean, it didn't have that you lie moment, but I, I thought people started not. grumbling a lot. Yeah. I did not see that at all. Uh, I think she's just making stuff up to support, like, a negative characterization of the speech. But... 
I mean, this is utterly and completely baseless. And then, you know, I, I felt that there were a lot of lies there. He started talking about um, undocumented immigrants, and he was using that term illegal alien. He sort of resurfaced that. Yeah. People are not illegal. Acts are illegal. And I think we need to start saying that more and more and more. Good. It's about undocumented immigrants. That was the first thing that I noticed. She's right. And people who commit illegal acts are called criminals. So perhaps we should stop calling them illegal immigrants. We should call them criminals. Would you prefer that, Sonny? I don't think so. This is what the left does when they don't have any legitimate arguments. They start to regulate speech. Well, it's impossible to argue that there are biological differences between men and women, so we're going to make it illegal for you to call a person by the wrong gender pronoun. Well, technically, people who sneak across the border and are living illegally in the United States have broken American laws, so we can't argue that. Instead, we're going to accuse you of demagogy for using the term illegal alien instead of our preferred undocumented immigrant. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what they refer to in politics as bullshit. This is how Democrats turn rational arguments into emotional arguments. Well, you may fa- okay. Well, you may be factually correct, but I'm morally right. More concerned about being factually and semantically correct than about being morally right. I love that clip so much. Thank you, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And then he starts talking about undocumented immigrants, um, you know, committing more crime. Well, no, 44, per, you know, it's, it's less, I think it's like the stats are, they commit about 44, they're less likely to commit. Careful now, Sonny, let's make sure we state this bogus statistic exactly right. They were about 44% less likely to be incarcerated than native-born Americans. Right. So that but stat's keep, just not true. Keep in true. mind, the room it's and the over audience and over and over are his opponents. For- I told you, they love saying this. Again, incorrect, but that's not going to stop them from stating this over and over and over again. Just not Keep in true. mind, the room and the audience and over and over are his again opponents lies. for 2020, though. A yeah. lot of the candidates who have already announced and will more than likely be announcing. So a lot of this was also virtue signaling to his base, which does yes. well with immigration. Um- what? Let me just let, let me just restate clearly what Megan McCain just said. She said, keep in mind that the room and the audience are his opponents for 2020. A lot of this was virtue signaling to his base, which does well with immigration. First of all, learn to string together a cohesive sentence. Secondly, I don't think you know what virtue signaling is. The Cambridge Dictionary had a good definition. An attempt to show other people that you are a good person by expressing opinions that will be acceptable to them. I would add expressions of opinion devoid of any substance, expressions that exclusively benefit the signaler and have no real benefit to society. Making a legitimate case for your political position is not virtue signaling. In fact, I very rarely hear anyone accuse conservatives of virtue signaling. This is because conservatives don't tend to express ideas merely to be more popular or to look good on social media. Conservatives tend to express ideas because they genuinely believe them, and often they're trying to persuade other people to understand their strongly held beliefs. I understand the temptation to use a popular term like virtue signaling to attack the president. For anyone who doesn't know what virtue signaling is, it probably sounds like a legitimate criticism. But for anybody who does know what virtue signaling is, it just makes you look like an idiot. I think it's clear that Meghan McCain does not know what virtue signaling means. Your job is not difficult, Meghan McCain. You merely have to express your opinion for a few minutes every morning. At least make some effort to learn the terminology relevant to the subjects about which you are speaking. Um, when he was talking about uh, why, why do you have the to lie about people? it? He's 
not lying about it, Sonny. He just doesn't accept the same dubious research that you do. But when he's saying when he's saying things like, and I'm going to butcher this, excuse me, I was up late on the coverage of mm -hmm. this, but uh, when the, the politicians with their walls and guarded security, that is a uh, siren call to his base that's watching right now. Meghan McCain is absolutely right. She did totally butcher that. I think she means dog whistle, but she's totally using that term incorrectly. So let's just stick with her term, siren call. So apparently, talking about politicians who live behind walls is a siren call. What the hell is she talking about? <laughs> I think what she means is that Donald Trump supporters often criticize Nancy Pelosi and other wealthy Democrats for living in gated communities surrounded by walls, which is highly hypocritical considering that they refuse to fund a wall for the rest of Americans to protect them from potentially dangerous criminals, illegally immigrating across our southern border. And I guess she thinks that Donald Trump, in expressing the same criticism, is somehow dog-whistling to his base, which she calls siren calling, because she's an idiot. So I think that Meghan McCain just invented a new term. Anytime a politician says anything that their base agrees with, I guess, it's a siren call. I don't know how this is a criticism of Trump, but... I guess Meghan McCain, like the other ladies of The View, will just look for some way to turn anything Trump says or does into something that is pure evil. <laughs> I mean, come on. Trump said something that his base agrees with. He's, he's virtue signaling. He, this is a siren call. I mean, what the hell are you talking about? Politicians can't say things that their voting base agrees with anymore? Somehow that's worthy of criticism? Uh, I don't get it. All right, these people are getting crazier and crazier. As advertised, we're talking about the State of the Union rebuttal. Um, and, you know, they don't have a great track record, these rebuttals, <laughs> in the past. I mean, Marco Rubio had water problems. He was dry. Remember all the water he yeah. was drinking? And then, <laughs> I uh, that. remember that Joe Kennedy had a chapstick issue? His yeah. lips were chapped. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the dreaded Michelle Bachman uh, looking at the wrong camera. <laughs> So, uh, but Jindal and Bobby Jindal, and I love Bobby Jindal, but it was awkward. It was like in his yeah. house or something. Yeah. It, it's really a Not tough great. spot. Yeah. So, imagine how how much better this looked last night yeah. compared to those. Former Georgia gubernatorial uh, national candidate Stacey Abrams broke the curse <laughs> last night by delivering a powerful Democratic response. <laughs> I just had to laugh at this. Even crazy leftist Joy Behar had to qualify her assessment of the Democratic response to the State of the Union. I did watch the response from Stacey Adams. It was dull. So because this speech was so boring, Joy Behar had to qualify it here. She lists the worst State of the Union response speeches in living memory, and then she compares the Stacey Abrams speech to all of those speeches. And she says, compared to all those, this was great! <laughs> I guess, yeah, I suppose I'll give her that one. I mean, nice, Behar. You, you lowered the bar so much that you could say this response was not a total disaster. Well done. So she says she doesn't want the president to fail. And when she said that, I thought, I wonder how many Democrats agree with that. <laughs> because to me, if the country is failing because he's so awful, then I'd want him to fail too. My mother hates Joy Behar. My mother doesn't hate anybody. That's how contemptible this woman is. So I was talking to my mom this morning about, uh, you know, how things are going with my YouTube channel, stuff like that. And I told her that some of my most popular videos are these I hate slash love the view videos. And out of the blue, my mom just says, I hate Joy Behar. I was shocked. I mean, I didn't know my mom hated anybody. Now, keep in mind that my mother is the kind of mom that when I was growing up and I would say, I hate this person, she'd say, we don't hate. Hating people is wrong. You can not like someone, but you don't hate them. But Joy Behar inspires hate 
in my mother. <laughs> and this is why she openly admits that she wants Donald Trump to fail as president. She's the most contemptible she-troll on television. And, and what does she mean the country is failing? Like, what part of American society is falling short at the moment? I mean, okay, I know she thinks that, you know, Donald Trump inspires all this racism and sexism and homophobia. I suppose that's what she's talking about. Apparently, if everybody's getting rich in America, if poor people are getting raised out of poverty, if we're moving toward peace with North Korea, if our taxes are lower, if our veterans are being taken care of, if prescription drug prices are reduced, if we're securing our borders against foreign threats, well, none of that matters because Joy Behar thinks that white racism against ethnic minorities is a huge problem in this country. Listen, I don't see a lot of racism against ethnic minorities in America, and I don't think that Joy Behar actually sees it either. We live in the same town, Los Angeles. We know similar types of people. I can guarantee that she does not know any racists. Maybe when she was like a kid, maybe she met some racist people, but it's probably been decades since she's actually spoken with a legitimate self-avowed racist. I mean, unless you had him on the show or something. I mean, most of the rich white people who virtue signal about racism most of them know that this is just a leftist talking point. Most of them know that it's not true. They just say this because they know it'll perpetuate a myth that helps the Democratic Party. Most leftists, they're in on the scam. They know what they're doing. I'm not sure Joy Behar gets that. I think Behar actually buys it. I think she watches Rachel Maddow and CNN and she believes it. I think she actually thinks that there are all these stone-cold racists muttering the N-word under their breaths at work throughout America. But as I've said a gazillion times before, if you want to get rid of these last vestiges of white racism in America, you need to eradicate the racism against white people in America. All the racists in America that I've ever heard about live in regions of the country where they feel persecuted by black people who are deeply racist against them. In fact, I've met countless black people who openly acknowledge that they are racist against white people. As a society, it is imperative that we establish a strategy to aggressively target black, Hispanic, and other immigrant and ethnic communities. We go into the schools, we teach the children not to hate other ethnic groups, and especially not to hate white people, because white people are absolutely the biggest target of hate in America today. We've taught white people not to hate other groups for decades. It's time we taught everybody else these lessons of tolerance as well. We need to teach everyone not to hate anyone. If Hispanics, black people, Muslims don't hate white people, if they're not openly racist against white people, if they're not constantly on the news falsely accusing white people of racism all the while demeaning us, well, perhaps there will no longer be any resentment building up in any of the white communities or in the minds of individual white people and manifesting itself in the form of racism later on. White racism is barely visible in America anymore. I have literally never met a racist in my life. But if you want to reduce the wisps of racism that still linger within white society in America, get rid of the racism against white people in our society. The last few vapors will dissipate into nothing at all. And so if you're thinking about 2020 and what sort of message am I going to bring that's different to the table and try and get those independent voters, even people that voted for Trump, I can't be a socialist. I can't be out there so far left that's not going to attract any of those middle people. So she was very smart to go that direction. I have to say... What yeah. she really thinks, I think, is different than what she said there. Yeah, but I have to say the word socialist is now becoming a buzzword like liberal and feminist, where the right wing is now taking that word and distorting it. So every time you use it, I'm going to interrupt you. I just realized Joy Behar does not know what the word socialist means. I don't think it means what you think it means. Conservatives are not distorting the word socialist. Joy Behar believes that socialism is, quote-unquote, what they do in the Scandinavian countries. I've heard her say 
that exact thing. The problem with Behar's definition of socialism is that the Scandinavian countries are all capitalist democracies. The Economist has described Scandinavian countries as stout free traders who resist the temptation to intervene even to protect iconic companies. Joy Behar's definition of socialism is super high taxes and tons of government programs to distribute the wealth accumulated by those insanely high taxes. I'm not going to get into the details of this, but as I understand it, the Scandinavian countries did attempt to move towards socialism in the 1970s. It nearly bankrupt their countries. In fact, it was speculated that Norway would indeed have gone bankrupt if it had not been for their enormous oil wealth. After this socialism experiment disaster, Sweden ended up privatizing everything, from education to the national rail system to social security. Now, these countries still have absurdly generous welfare programs, but these welfare programs are the cause of a lot of political division within the countries because they do cause problems, and these problems are getting worse. The Nordic countries, until recently, have enjoyed a luxury that few other first world nations could boast. Each Scandinavian country consisted of a single, extremely homogenous culture. And everybody within these cultures all deeply valued a strong work ethic, personal responsibility, and a measured, balanced temperament and lifestyle. We do not have any such thing in the United States. The U.S. consists of hundreds, if not thousands, of microcultures, and each one of these cultures has drastically different values. In Oregon, we're raised very much like the Scandinavians, to be even-tempered, practical, and to have a strong work ethic. Until recently, the Scandinavians who paid their taxes into a general fund to assist the poor could be sure that most of the people who would benefit from the funding were people who had fallen on hard times, pragmatic people who, like themselves, had a strong work ethic and had an even temper and who were merely down on their luck. In the United States, we have no such assurances. Our money might go to somebody like this or it might go to someone who is scamming the system. We don't have a homogenous culture where everybody agrees to play by the rules, work hard, act practically and fairly, and do the right thing. Let's do the right thing! There are some cultural groups in America that pride themselves on their ability to rip off the government, to scam the system, and even to scam their fellow American. It's estimated that in the United States, almost half of the welfare recipients are committing fraud. In 2017, the United States spent $729 billion on welfare. That's $365 billion lost to welfare fraud. Stolen. And Joy Behar wants to expand these government programs. Allow me to read you a couple of entries in Wikipedia about fraud in Scandinavia. And note that Wikipedia articles are notoriously slanted left. Okay, so... In Norway, a woman of the Roma people, the gypsies, illegally received in excess of $1.4 million by deceiving the Norwegian welfare authorities for 23 years. After the authorities started investigating such issues, they found 74 cases of false identities made by gypsies in the civil registry. Every false identity cost the government $1.28 million. Among the gypsies in Norway, this is considered a normal way of making money. In Sweden, welfare fraud is widespread in the immigrant-dominated Rosengard. These immigrants are Muslim from the Middle East, mostly Syria. In these immigrant communities in Sweden, one is considered smart if he is able to work and and claim unemployment benefits simultaneously. And one is considered strange if he does not exploit the welfare program. Until recently, the 
Scandinavians have had it pretty easy. In Scandinavian cultures, if you lived off the government, it was considered embarrassing. Only people who really needed it ever used it. However, since the Scandinavian countries have been flooded with immigrants ethnically and culturally distinct from the natural-born people there, these countries have discovered that not everyone shares their values. Within these immigrant communities, not only is it not considered embarrassing to live off the government, but it's considered stupid not to. And indeed, you'll find similar thinking within some cultures here in the United States. Look, the Scandinavian countries are tiny. Denmark, 5.7 million people. Sweden, 10 million. Norway, 5.2 million. The United States of America, 323 million people. Okay, the Scandinavians wanted to try out heavy taxation and generous social programs. Fine. Apparently, that's what the citizens of those countries wanted. Okay, so they've done this, and it didn't work. If a country the size of the United States tries something like that, it would be utterly devastating. Actually, they have tried it. It was called the Soviet Union. Under Stalin alone, it's estimated that because of socialism, approximately 60 million people died. Now, Joy Behar clearly does not understand that socialism doesn't simply mean higher taxes and generous welfare program. She is the one who is distorting the word socialism. Furthermore, when Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez advocates socialism, she's not merely advocating for higher taxes and a generous welfare system. Under the Green New Deal, she has literally advocated that we pay people who don't want to work. There are countless examples of Soviet Union-style Marxist socialism advanced by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, and other radical leftists working in Washington, D.C. today. We are not distorting the word socialist. Joy Behar, once again, does not know what she's talking about. That said, Joy Behar is in good company. The Oxford English Dictionary, the foremost authority on the English language, has actually adopted Behar's moronic definition. It's unbelievable. Apparently, the Oxford English Dictionary has become a fake news leftist rag. <laughs> okay, so this is how they define socialism. A theory or system of social organization based on state or collective ownership and regulation of the means of production, distribution, and exchange for the common benefit of all members of society, the advocacy or practice of such a system, especially as a political movement. Now, this is all good. This is the actual, literal, proper, historically rooted definition of socialism. But now... They slipped in this. Now also, any of various systems of liberal social democracy which retain a commitment to social justice and social reform or feature some degree of state intervention in the running of the economy. What the f***? Who the f*** put that in? Okay, within the parameters of political rhetoric, these definitions directly contradict each other. That's like saying the definition of hot is high temperature, also low temperature. The f***? This is not even included as a separate definition. It's not like definition 2B or definition 5 or something like that. It's defined in the standard definition. What moron made this addendum? Okay, I get that language is an ever-evolving thing, but it's important to define things in a way somewhat comprehensible. If we define words with common, traditional, accepted usage, as well as what some people want it to mean, we begin to lose all ability to communicate. The Oxford English Dictionary used to be a lot more strict about adding crazy words and redefining words, but apparently they've found that they get a lot of attention now when they add words to the dictionary like mansplain, hangry, or woke. I'm not kidding right now, they f***ing added f***ing woke to the f***ing Oxford English Dictionary. Okay, I'm sorry for all the swearing and and I know it seems trivial to most of you, but I'm a writer. I am extremely passionate about language. And this is f***ing mental. I mean, 
if we distort the word microphone or elegant or something like this, it causes occasional minor problems and annoyances in conversation. When we distort words like socialism, we catastrophically confound our ability to effectively communicate about some of the most important things in the world. If you're defining words in an entirely different way than I'm defining them, then we will inevitably speak past each other. If one person lists the benefits of socialism and the next person lists the risks of socialism, but these people have utterly distinct definitions of socialism, the benefits won't make any sense to the second person, and the risks won't make any sense to the first person. Oftentimes, in formal debates, certain terms will be defined at the start so that the parties can avoid this kind of problem. This is also done with legal documents, so to be as clear and precise as possible. But this really should not be necessary when we're talking about things like democracy, socialism, capitalism... But apparently, we've got to define these terms now when we're discussing them with a leftist, because apparently they don't know what they mean. Honestly, I don't think Joy Behar does this on purpose. I think she's genuinely confused. But people like Obama, Bernie, Hillary, Rachel Maddow, they are distorting this word on purpose. And I think they're doing it to confuse people. If everyday Democratic voters think that the word socialism means moderate Democratic policies, then maybe they won't worry about it when real socialist policies are implemented. If higher taxes on the rich is a socialist idea, then maybe other socialist ideas are good too. A universal basic income, a single-payer health care system, the, the abolition of states' rights, the government regulation of speech, the prohibition of religion. Redefining socialism is an insidious way to ease people into full-blown Marxism. These devious leftists are creating a gateway drug toward communism. Redefining such critical political terms is not just confusing, it's extremely dangerous. And the people at Oxford English Dictionary should be preserving the integrity of that great index. They should not be complicit in this sinister effort to confuse the public. Have some dignity, Oxford. Stand firm with legitimate definitions of important political terms that need precise standard definitions in order to facilitate effective political discourse and debate. I mean, obviously, the people who work at the OED are, you know, come from the world of academia, right? They're these, like, leftist academics. You know, so to them, they're probably doing the right thing. Let's do the right thing! No, go back to standard definitions. If you want to put this in as an addendum, put it in as 2B or 2C or some kind of asterisk or something. Don't say now also in the standard definition is mental. Just to top off my little rant, the OED has also recently added to their legendary tome the following words. Clap back. Latin X. Yes, which is the gay word for yes. Shook, which is the ghetto word for shaken. America, without the A. MK, from South Park. Not joking. YOLO, which has not been used since it was added to the OED in 2016. And, and you're never going to believe this, <laughs> WTF. That's real. That is now an official word confirmed by the foremost authority on the English language. What in the world is going on? Okay, apparently the Oxford English Dictionary has become the Urban Dictionary. All I can say is... W-T-F. It's being, it's it's being, being bastardized, that word. Mm -hmm. Nobody think, really I understands I think you bastardize it. a lot of things, too. This is the view. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things you say that I disagree with. Well, give me about. a buzzword that I use that I bastardize. Right wing. Start with that. Right wing. That's true, isn't I'm not it? Whoa, 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 whoa. Did Meghan McCain just say something good? I, I don't believe it. I can't. Where am I? Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. 
a dimension of sight, a dimension of mind. You've just crossed over into the Twilight Zone. I'm conservative. I'm not part of the right wing. But can we go back to Stacey Abrams? Because I was actually looking forward to talking about her. Yeah, um, okay. Really quickly. First of all, I love a jewel tone dress with a brooch. And I loved her fashion. <laughs> number yeah, one. I good. thought she looked just wonderful. Yeah. Nope. Never mind. We are 100% in reality. Megan McCain backed off that real fast. I thought there might be a serious confrontation there. Now, had we actually entered into the Twilight Zone and had Megan McCain actually grown a pair of testicles and a backbone, this is what she would have said. Buzzwords that Joy uses and distorts the meaning of nationalism, privilege, fact, data, climate denier, research, lies, collusion, qualified, white men, old by the way, white men, old by the way, blackface, hate crime, hate speech, sexism, feminism, racism, socialism, and fake news. Oh, breaking news. Michael Flynn promised full cooperation to the Mueller team and is prepared to testify that as a candidate, Donald Trump directed him to make contact with the Russians. Yes! He goes to jail! He goes to jail! He goes to jail! Lock him up! And that is only 0.0237% of all the words Joy Behar uses incorrectly. She was fact-checking him in, 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 in sort of, not real time, but right afterwards. And that was the big problem that I had with it. It was like, she just wasn't snarky, tell people though. It wasn't truth. Mal- Wrong. This is like Sonny Hostin's modus operandi. She just makes stuff up off the top of her head. She'll just say anything that sounds right to her. There are two criteria for the crap that Sonny Hostin says. One, it has to make her sound good. And two, it has to fit her leftist narrative. That is it. Doesn't have to be true doesn't even have to make sense. Joy Behar's tactic is to read off statistics that sound right, but are totally wrong. But honestly, they both do both of these things. All right, you know what? Maybe Sonny learned everything from Joy. Maybe Joy is like Sonny's BS sensei. All right, let's move on to the next episode. All right, so let's talk some news. As the Mueller investigation winds down, the Democrats are just getting warmed up. House Intelligence Committee Chairman Adam Schiff says they're investigating, quote, credible reports of money laundering and financial compromise related to Trump's businesses. Guess who's not happy about this? Watch. He's just a political hack who's trying to build a name for himself. And I think that's fine because that's what they do. But uh, there would be no reason to do that. No other politician has to go through that. It's called presidential harassment. And it's unfortunate. And it really does hurt our country. What is the world yeah. coming to when you can't you can conspire against your own country with a foreign uh, uh, a person, a foreign country like Putin, when you can uh, obstruct the investigation when you can, um, what else did he say? I mean, what, when you can have businesses with foreign con- countries and nobody says anything, when you can do that and nobody investigates Profit it. from the presidency, I mean, employ your children. He, he's really delusional. Yeah, nobody feels bad get away with that. That was a lot of stuff. Uh, let's unpack that and break it down. What is the world yeah. coming to when you can conspire against your own country with a foreign person, a foreign country like Putin? I love how she just states this as if evidence has been collected and Donald Trump has been tried and convicted of treason. This is why you need to listen to both sides, boys and girls. You can't just rely on MSNBC. You need to watch Fox News. You can't just read Breitbart. You also need to read Politico. And this is not just so that you get the full story. It's also so that you can see what kind of BS the opposition is perpetrating. In Joy Behar's case, she obviously has no idea how the Christopher Steele dossier was compiled. She has no idea that this was opposition research. She probably hasn't even heard of Fusion GPS. 
Or maybe she has read about all this stuff and she's just dismissing it because she doesn't want to believe it. It's possible that Behar, in her mind, believes that she has figured this all out. Everything that Rachel Maddow says is correct, and any exculpatory evidence that might be dug up is clearly just conservative propaganda that can't be trusted and is not possibly true. This may just be how Behar thinks, I don't know. Whatever the case, she is either completely ignorant or she is so mind-bogglingly hateful that she's blinded herself to reality. When you can uh, obstruct the investigation. <laughs> what? Wait, what? What obstruction? Now she's taking a page from the Sonny Hostin playbook and just throwing out random accusations that have absolutely zero basis in reality at all. But to the fans of The View, it probably sounds right. What, when you can have businesses with foreign con countries and nobody says anything? First of all, having a business that operates internationally is not illegal. It's not even a little shady. There is literally nothing wrong whatsoever with, as Joy puts it, having businesses with other countries. Have businesses with foreign countries. And not only is it perfectly reasonable to do business internationally, but Trump's international business dealings are being questioned. And nobody says anything. In fact, that's pretty much what this entire investigation is about. Well, you can do that and nobody investigates. Prof. Investigators are meticulously examining Trump's business dealings in Russia, and they're doing it to such an unreasonable degree that it has very obviously crossed the line from witch hunt to harassment. Right. He's really delusional. Yeah, nobody feels he's bad get away with that. <laughs> no, Joy, you are really delusional. I think what was interesting to me was when you heard uh, this president during the State of the Union, he said there will be no investigations without, uh, while they're, they're what, what did he say? Something it rhymed. About, uh, there, yeah, it rhymed. <laughs> if there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. I thought that was like congressional harassment. It was like a veiled a threat, threat, to threat to the Congress. And Nancy Pelosi they're, said it was a threat. Yeah, you are proposing the most sinister interpretation of peace and legislation, not war and interrogation, possible. In fact, I wouldn't even classify it as a possible interpretation. <sighs> A veiled threat to Congress? Are you out of your mind? Okay, if you have a job, let's say, right, in, in an office. If you have a job, let's say, in like an office, right, and some of the people who work there harass you every single day. If you turn to them one day and you say, perfectly calmly, maybe even in rhyme, <laughs> listen, guys, it's going to be much easier to get things done, you know, to be more efficient, whatever, happier work environment, if you stop harassing me. That's not a veiled threat. That's merely a suggestion, a request even. I remember they said this when Trump suggested that people look into the criminal history of Michael Cohen's father-in-law. Trump's like, Michael Cohen's a bad guy. Just look at his father-in-law. People were like, whoa, that's a threat against Michael Cohen's father-in-law. Apparently, Donald Trump can't reference somebody's family member without it being a veiled threat of murder. <laughs> and now Trump can't suggest that people stop harassing him without that also being some kind of a threat. Honestly, I think Donald Trump could comment on a floral arrangement and people would interpret that as being a veiled threat. It's unbelievable the abstract interpretations that these women can make and still be taken seriously on a nationally broadcast TV show on one of the major TV networks. But that's unbelievable to me. Pure anti-Trump propaganda. For me, the question mark always is, why are you so cozy with Putin? Why is yeah, it yeah. easier for you to attack? Why is it, a secret? Uh, why is it easier for you to attack Canada than it is Russia? And again, I think there's there's a time where collusion, collusion, collusion sounds like an alarm going off. But there are legitimate questions that even I think conservatives and Republicans should have about this very bizarre, cozy relationship. Well, and what will romance. it take? You're and this is why I cannot stand Meghan McCain. How is Donald Trump cozy with Putin? 
Oh, I see. Okay, you know what? I hadn't seen those pictures, so yeah. No, you got a point, actually. Yeah, that's definitely weird. Something's going on here, for sure. <laughs> Clearly, Donald Trump is implementing policies that are of exclusive benefit to his boyfriend, Vladimir Putin. This is such a weak argument. I can only imagine that, by cozy, what Meghan McCain means is that Donald Trump hasn't outright condemned Vladimir Putin... Uh, you know, as some kind of horrible, evil dictator whom he hates. But he doesn't do that with anyone. Donald Trump is actually much kinder to Kim Jong-un than he is to Vladimir Putin. So if you're going to accuse Donald Trump of colluding with a foreign dictator, why not the guy he said this about? We fell in love. Meghan McCain, I know you hate Donald Trump, but you claim to be a conservative. How about refraining from participating in the kind of BS that Joy Behar, Whoopi Goldberg, and Sonny Hostin indulge in? That would be like base-level loyalty to America. American conservatism. Criticize Donald Trump where criticism is due. Don't just invent scandals where no scandal exists. Oh, Donald Trump is so cozy with Vladimir Putin. Sometimes I feel like she just says stuff to seem like she has something to say. She and Sonny Hostin are the two who are the most guilty of this on the show, I think. The real issue is how come they tolerate the secretiveness between him and Putin? Because right. how come they tolerate because what, what he just Hey, look, look, if I put my fingers together like this, that illustrates the relationship that Donald Trump has with Vladimir Putin. This will help the audience understand that they are in cahoots. See? See? Collusion. Collusion. Moronic. Senator Amy Klobuchar, you remember her from the Kavanaugh hearings? Yeah. She's been on the show. Yeah. And she's been here. You know, she's from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. um, so her presidential bid could be in trouble because before it even officially starts, because some former staff members are accusing her of mistreating them in the workplace. One of the allegations claims she would often call people's work, quote unquote, the worst. This is this is the worst. <laughs> So, and to me, some of these snowflakes can't take it. I mean, you, you think it's such uh, a big deal. If you want to work in politics, you can't take it from the senator of Minnesota who says this, this report is the worst. Come on, grow up. This is just weird. I get that Klobuchar is considered to be a potentially formidable opponent to Donald Trump. Some even believe that she's the best shot the Democrats have at taking the White House in 2020. But that should not then give her a pass for abusing her staff. Behar characterizes... Klobuchar's behavior with one example, telling people that their work is the worst. But this is far from the only criticism of Amy Klobuchar. The far more serious accusation is that Klobuchar is, apparently, extremely angry. She consistently dehumanizes her staff, apparently publicly berating members of her staff in group email. She often has her campaign people run personal errands, including washing her dishes, which actually violates Senate ethic rules, and she even has admitted to throwing things in the office. In fact, I think in the great tradition of Donald Trump, we should start calling her Angry Klobuchar. <laughs> Apparently, Angry Klobuchar has a reputation for being one of the worst bosses in Washington. And Washington is known for being a town of horrible bosses. The New York Times recently ran an article describing an incident in which one of Klobuchar's staff forgot to bring plastic forks onto a flight in which Klobuchar fancied a salad. For this infraction, the staff member was characteristically berated. Klobuchar then pulled a hair comb from her purse, devoured the salad, handed the staff member the comb, and snapped, clean it. Angry Klobuchar has characterized her behavior toward her campaign staff as high expectation. I've had bosses with high expectations. They weren't assholes. Now, a lot of feminists in the press have defended Klobuchar, characterizing these criticisms about her as 
sexist. But actually, the staff members who have criticized her did so anonymously. They may well have been women. The sexism theory goes like this. If a man mistreats his staff, nobody says anything. If a woman mistreats her staff, it's somehow a big deal. But this just isn't true. If a man running for president consistently berated his staff, was notoriously angry all the time, publicly humiliated people, made them do his dishes, and threw stuff in the office, it would absolutely be in the news. Incidentally, don't use the word absolutely around angry Klobuchar. Evidently, that sets her off. No joke, that, that's true. Also the term straight shooter. Maybe that term is too NRA friendly or something, I don't know. If any man acted like Klobuchar, honestly, it would be a much bigger story than this. I actually only first heard of this through this show, watching The View. I think often women get a pass because men are scared of being called sexist if they criticize a woman. So male journalists just don't report on this stuff. They leave it to female reporters to do it. But that is wrong. If this woman is mistreating her staff this severely, it should be on CNN. But, okay, but in looking into this story, I actually found more articles criticizing the complaints about Klobuchar than I found articles that simply covered the actual mistreatment of her staff. And of the articles that did cover the actual mistreatment, only the New York Times article did so without criticizing the complaints as sexist. The New York Times, one of the most biased leftist rags out there. So again, credit where credit's due. Good job, New York Times. I read one article actually that, that claimed that if Klobuchar was a man, it would never have gotten into the news. Unbelievable. But actually, the only reason this made the news at all was because Klobuchar was having trouble finding a campaign manager. Apparently, the woman is so infamous for being difficult to work with and such a horrible person that no one was willing to take the job. Now, that's not just being a little bossy. That is a newsworthy level of bitchiness. When you are such a horrible person that no one will work for you and you're running for president, yeah, that's going to get into the news. When I first graduated from college, I went to work in New York for a production company. They actually produced children's shows, hilariously. There were these two women from Long Island that were the executive producers there, our bosses. These were two of the worst human beings I have ever met in my life. These two women made their assistant cry Every single day. I know what it's like to work for absolutely horrible bosses. Joy Behar can defend this woman all she wants, but she should realize Klobuchar's staff is, you can be sure, made up entirely of Democrats. And a lot of the people she's mistreating are, you can be sure, women. I thought we were in the era of hashtag me too. I thought, I thought women always had to be believed. Believe her, right? But I guess it's only men who are to be criticized for abusing positions of power. This is a perfect example of leftist hypocrisy. They claim to be the party that defends the vulnerable, that fights for victims. Maybe not. Another thing is Amy Kobachar. I always kind of liked her. Yeah. And I, but I thought, I don't know if she can be president because she doesn't have that spunk that you need. Now we know she's got that spunk. <laughs> so good, good for this her. One. Yeah, good for her. Joy Behar thinks that the mistreatment of one's staff shows spunk? I actually imagine that Joy Behar is just as horrible to work for as angry Klobuchar. So it actually makes sense that she would think this is somehow a virtue. Uh. All right, if you'd like to contribute to this channel and help me promote reason and rationality around the world, I've got a Patreon account set up. I've also got a subscribe star. You could donate directly through PayPal. The links to those are all in the description. Quick shout out to John Richard Wallen. Uh, this guy's a friend of my brother John and my brother Nick. Apparently, he posted my Nancy Pelosi video on his Facebook and uh, my brother Nick watched it. Now, my brother John and my dad both watch all of my YouTube videos. My brother Nick does, hasn't watched any of them. <laughs> he doesn't like them. He watched, like, the first few seconds. He's like, I don't like this. He doesn't watch them. But apparently, because of this awesome guy, John Richard Wallen, uh, who posted my Pelosi video, my brother Nick 
finally watched one of my videos, not knowing it was mine, right? So he just kind of stumbled across a Mr. Reagan video, and he was like, that's my brother! <laughs> so thank you, John Richard Wallen, for getting my brother to finally watch one of my videos. Also, congratulations on the first place victory in Jiu-Jitsu the other day. Well, that's it for me. Thanks for watching. If you like this video, hit the like button. If you want to see more like this, please subscribe. And if you hate me, who am I kidding? You can't hate me. I'm inhatable. Incapable of being hated. That's not true at all. Good night. How are you doing? Good. I hope you will not include it. Everyone, my super hot girlfriend. Oh, you bitch. I am a bitch. Oh my gosh. All right, so where are you going? Are you gonna, oh yeah, laser. I've been using the one, yeah, I'm using the ones you got me. Well, I, 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 I called, but they said they were out. What? Yeah. What if you will die? <laughs> I'm not gonna die of arthritis. I, I understand, but still, they should have something. Okay. You know what she's doing right now? Making the bed. Like a real woman. Oh my gosh. You're gonna wreck the equipment.